What's going on, everybody? You've got the cardboard coaches here with your boy, Coach Cole. And I'm the sports card cartel, and I'm on eBay right now making some bids. I'm rocking my Matthews jersey. Well, jersey. 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 You know. So well, that is totally a jersey, buddy. Jersey. Oh yeah. Rocking, rocking the jersey because uh, he got shut out, and and then he ended up. I don't even think he put up a point against uh, Calgary in that OT win. Although Nylander looked fantastic, let me tell you. There's only so many games in a row you can put up a point, but believe me, the, the guy's not done yet. I just don't want him to go cold now, you know? You know, that that's that's always a possibility, but just the, the way the Leafs have been pumping it out lately, uh, the support that each each offensive component lends itself uh, to the others, I think they're gonna I think they're gonna be all right. They're they're a big fish in a small Canadian pond right now, and they are on all cylinders. I actually completely forgot he's not even playing tonight. He's out. Really? So yeah. is Eichel. A lot of big names out tonight. Do you uh, – Saturday here today. How do you feel about the, the Montreal Canadiens firing Claude Julien? Uh, you know, they, 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 uh, they, they had to do something. I don't – I think it might just be a little premature. I'm going to be real with you, man. Like, I don't know. I think he's a – Good. I mean, I don't know enough about him in the dressing room and like how the players respond, but like they went, they came blazing out the gate and no one expected them to be that good. I'm going to be honest with you. And I mean, now all of a sudden you lose like five of six against a very hungry, by the way, Ottawa Senators team. Um, you know, Vancouver Canucks are slowly coming back. Calgary's coming into form. Mike Smith has won six in a row and somehow looks like the Mike Smith that, that, you know, brought Arizona to the playoffs for the first time, like ever, you know? So it's not like they're losing against Detroit's right. Like, I don't know. I think, uh, you know, first of all, I think it's a little premature to be uh, getting too on board with Ottawa and Calgary. That's it's, it's been mostly a dismal year for these teams. Um, the only thing I can think of is the fact that, you know, there, there's obviously something that was coming together with this group of, you know, what is essentially new look Montreal Canadiens. And given the uniqueness of this year and the fact that I feel like there's an opportunity here, uh, the Leafs are taking full advantage in that sense. They're, the, the, the North division is exciting. There's a lot of goal scoring going on, but um, would, you, would you potentially say it's one of the weaker divisions in the league yeah. right now and there's opportunities there so there's the little canadians, to no defense in that in that division right and yeah the canadians feel they, like they have the right group of people and perhaps it was time for a, a change of scenery i kind of applaud bold moves like that um and it is you know it's that type of market there's a lot of pressure on these guys there's not a lot that's been going on in montreal lately and i think maybe they see an opportunity with the uh, with the lockdown and all the eyes on the league and, and everyone getting what they're getting out of watching hockey, you know, it's like such a great thing to have during this period of time. Um, they want people buying jerseys, buying merchandise, getting excited about the Canadians and, and they want to walk away with a good year. So it's a bold move. I, I I'm all for bold moves in the league right now. If they lose a few more, does that Nick Suzuki $1,550 cup rookie go down? 
Uh, is that what it's going for? You know, I haven't even looked at cup prices. Fifteen fifty, uh, I thought I saw, dude. U.S. Um, not that's not unreasonable. I mean, a lot of the big and is it a ninety nine? Uh, I'm not, I, I would be lying if I told you that that it was or wasn't. I'm gonna take a look since since I'm on eBay every minute of every day. Anyways, I'll take a look. But um, you know, for 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 cups that are ninety nine, that is not unreasonable to hit the market at those prices. Um, in general, uh, so. Uh, I'm trying to find a, I'm seeing some gold ones here. Uh, it, it is a 99. Is it? So, so that's not unreasonable. Even, even if a player, you know, when, when the cup rookie comes out, players, you know, had a, had a year to play. Um, when that happens, that, that is how high they hit the market. Plus with Suzuki, we're talking about a guy who's See? younger. So now I don't, and that doesn't make sense again, you know? So like this, this no, goes, right. what I said, it makes no sense because so this goes back to this guy's uh, young gun is $750, $800 US, PSA 10, and his out of 99, which you just confirmed, cup RPA hard-signed autograph is going for like $1,550. There's, there's a ridiculous disparity in the hockey market, and we touched on it with Matt Lee. Um, yeah. This podcast, uh, where uh, I'm seeing, you know, SP Authentic Future Watch cards their value based on the young guns PSA 10 value, it, it's not making sense. And you don't see that in other sports. There's obviously a premium for cards that have patches and autographs. The young gun market is such an interesting and unique thing with hockey cards. It kind of, it makes me kind of want to stay away from it. Like, so, and we're going to get into this after the buying and selling on eBay and just like when to, when to buy, when to sell. And or anywhere really, not, not even necessarily just eBay. No, no. Yeah. Or just, and just when to buy, when to sell. And I, for me personally, I mean, you know what? Fuck it. Let's might as well get into it right now. For me personally, I am the one thing that I know for sure that I'm selling is young guns in hockey. And the reason why I'm selling them for the most part, I'm not selling all young guns in hockey, but like if I have a guy who I say I bought in the off season for like anywhere from five to $10 before the market truly, you know, kind of exploded for hockey. It was quiet for a long time. So I'll give you an example. Uh, in the offseason, I was buying Josh Anderson's for, you know, two bucks, five dollars, whatever. And when he started popping off, I sold, I had three of them, four of them. I sold all of them for either, I mean, anything from 20 to $40. Now, the reason why I sold them is because it just doesn't make any sense to me why young guns are, are the preferred method of payment in the hockey community when, I think the, the short printed rookie cards in general. So like even the exquisites, I think the exquisites are really damn nice. And personally, I think that it, it, the exquisite, especially like the golds and the, I mean, they're out of like 199 for the most part. I think that that should be more valuable than a, um, a young gun that you have no idea what the print run is on. Uh, I also think that the SP authentics, I'm seeing quality SP authentic autos for like 20, $25, like raw, of course. Yeah. But I'm like, this guy's young gun is like a third of the price of the SP authentic auto. And the SP authentic auto is numbered and there's a hard autograph on this thing. There's, there's definitely an opportunity to turn young gun money into autograph and patch money, but it, it is a funny thing. This isn't, and this isn't, uh, this isn't new to this, quote unquote, you know, new market of, of cards, uh, you know, 2020 and, and uh, beyond. 
it's something that we've seen previously too. And I think there's a certain kind of stubbornness with, with certain, with, with hockey collectors and the way they view certain sets. I mean, young guns, like you said, it's, it, they're, they're like liquid. And I think also with the new collectors coming in, there is a tremendous appeal because the young guns cards are kind of iconic, right? Like you, the Connor McDavid is becoming a very iconic card. Yeah. The Sidney Crosby, people know what it looks like. People want it. It represents uh, having a share in the player, but you have these big opportunities with future watch autographs. You have big opportunities with acetate ices at a 99. You've got cup patch rookies. And I think, I, I think, it, I think it would, it would be a smart play for some people to, you know, maybe move from the young gun market, some of the nicer product. Um, it's, it's something that's always existed with hockey. There, there's all sorts of quirks. Uh, Ultimate 99 autographs, I've always been a fan of. You know, traditionally, they just never got any love. Something I noticed right off the bat was Ice 99s that are just acetate cards that don't have autographs on them would go for much more. And with the Ultimate cards, you, you had a lot of cards with great designs, Beautiful on-card autographs. Again, yeah. just they were not as in demand. Uh, I do think it has to do with the fact that there's a lot of new collectors coming in. I think that there are some stubborn old-school collectors that stick with young guns and other sets that they enjoy. There's this idea that oh, maybe, well, SP and Cup is so expensive, especially on the retail level, but then you've completely avoided it. And you're not noticing, you know, uh, it's, it's a bit of a special case, but when you look at David Pasternak, I watched an SGC 10 finish for under $1,000 US the other night. People are paying over $1,500 US for his PSA 10 Young Gun. Um, the SP is a beautiful card, on-card autograph. There's only $999, maybe less, because it was a redemption. There's no way there's actually $999 out there yeah, in the market. No. Um, so, you know, explain that to me. People will say, oh, well, you know what, Cartel, uh, it, uh, Series 2 was severely underprinted that year, which is true. But no matter what you tell me, you're not going to convince me that you should be paying, you know, twice as much for a PSA 10 Young Gun. And I don't care if it's SGC, but with SGC 10 SP Authentic Future Watch Autograph, you're not going to convince me that that makes sense. No. Um, so there could be a big opportunity uh, for, for taking that money in the Young Gun market and putting it into some nicer stuff. Cup Rookie Patch Autograph should be worth a ton more than that. I don't understand. And like, so let's transition that a little bit into how do we know when to sell? How do we know what, when to buy, you know, because I feel like you and I every day exchange text messages about things that we want to buy, that we're looking to buy, that we bought, you know, sometimes it's right place, right time. Sometimes it's, yeah. you know, catching it as it's coming up. Sometimes sometimes there's missed opportunities, you know? So, and you know, it's interesting. We, we were talking about a missed opportunity. I believe we were putting together our, uh, the express order to PSA when we noticed when we were just searching around, looking at stuff, we noticed a Nikita Kucherov acetate. Yeah. DGS 9.5, incredibly scarce card, incredibly desirable cons considering he doesn't have many rookie cards to begin with sold for 275 us. Now, I told, I, first I freaked out. Uh, then I was sad. I went through all the stages of like remorse and like, uh, grief, addiction. You know? stages of grief. Stages, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. reconciliation. And, uh, I like cried on your shoulder and then I got mad at you. And then, you know, and it was like, I was like, why, why are we so stupid? Dude, but, didn't it, didn't it end like an hour before I got there? It did. Right. So <laughs> now that's actually a good lead in to what we're talking about because I did a little bit of a follow-up on that card. And by the way, 
Um, I'm seeing this more and more and I love it. I'm seeing this on Instagram. People are reaching out to sellers to confirm if yeah. sales were actually completed. Yes. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm that's seeing it a lot as well. That's doing the work. That's yeah. getting in the grind and, and doing the research. Now I didn't do that. Sometimes it's easier than that. I went in to see what was going on and guess what, Brendan, what that sale was not completed. How did I know? I went into the guy's feedback and he had received a negative from the guy saying he canceled the order. Didn't get enough. Really? Now, the interesting thing is, you know, that is still a quote unquote comparable. When you go into completed auctions, let's say you and I, let's say you and I are working a deal for Kucherov acetate. You could very easily say cartel one sold for 275 for a 9.5. So for your PSA 10, I offer you 400. And I'm going to be there like, no, 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 no. I want 2K because that's what the card's worth. And you're going to say, but look at the comparable. But getting that knowledge beyond the listing, I can yeah. tell you, Brendan, that that, that wasn't real. Yeah. So, so that was actually a great lesson in uh, understanding that, you know, number one, it was listed at a ridiculous time of day. So we've already talked about the best times to list your auctions. Just Monday, Sunday nights. Sunday and Monday nights. And again, that's statistical. That's traditional. That's real. You're not going to argue with me on that. But there are people out there listing auctions on a Saturday afternoon, which is why I have my eBay on in the background. Yeah. Um, not a great time to be selling auction cards. That's just the reality. Um, I mean, albeit there are a few hockey games on during the afternoon right now, you know? Yeah, I mean, listen, and I've seen, I've seen very successful. Look, if you get a, if you get an, a, a bidding war going. On a Saturday afternoon, a couple of people happen to be around to, to get that bidding yeah. war going. Congratulations. But you're vastly more likely to have that bidding war happen on a Sunday night or a Monday night when people are around and watching those auctions. You want to end them at a good time as well, by the way. You want to catch the East Coast and the West Coast. So a lot of times that's like 9, 10, 11 p.m. You don't want to necessarily get started at a 6 p.m. Yeah. start time on a Sunday night. That doesn't really apply to what I'm saying in terms of that kind of magic window. Yeah. Um, so dropping yeah, some very, serious quality knowledge right now. I'm sure people should be taking notes if they're not. Absolutely. And, and, you know, it, it, it goes into all those elements of auctions where as you are, you know, spending time on eBay, I'm spending so much time on eBay. I told you I'm so tired. But I'm telling you, it's, it's, a, we were talking about how we can't sleep at night. And I mean, yeah, like, yeah. but it's, it's just cause there's, I, I feel like it's, there's just so much opportunity and like, there are so many guys I'm watching that I'm like, I'm just waiting for the, the, the number to get to this, you know, like, I'm like, I'm just, I'm waiting for this card to get to this price or, you know, you're, you're sitting on an auction for three days and you're, you're just watching it slowly build and you're like, yeah. please, please stay at this target range. When you have a very specific list of stuff in your watch list, that's the case. But then, you know, I think the greater anxiety is this concept of feeling left out. If you're not catching things late at night, or a weird listing or something that's been misspelled or something that has been placed into the wrong category. That's, that's kind of my, that's kind of my area of anxiety because that's where I've had the most success throughout the years. Right. Um, but you know, it gets to the point with your eBay travels where you're going to be comfortable. You're, you're going to be able to recognize when you've been, when your bid has been shilled up. Uh, you're, you're going to be able to recognize, um, you know, strange behavior on some, on some of the auction listings. And when you see something like that Kucherov auction, which seemed a little bit off, you, you're going to learn how to do the, the research, getting into the feedback, 
taking a look at feedback. I, I mean, sometimes it's, it's, it's literally like a, you're, you're investigating. Yeah. You're seeing feedback they left for others, feedback they received. You're looking at their completed auctions. Oh, it was relisted a second time and sold for 500. Wait a minute. So that means that that 275 wasn't a sale, but you know, you're, you start to learn to appreciate that when you are making big purchases and you start to use comparables, right? Yeah. Cause you go in there and you see all these comparables and, and people have discussed the, how easy it is to manipulate things because when an auction has been show bid or there was something that was organized, that completed auction, even if it's canceled, is still going to show up in the completed listings. So, you know, I could, I can put in, you know, three or four fake listings with you. Not that we would ever do that. The cardboard coaches are full of morals and ethics. Not how I roll. Cancel them off. Now, okay, of course, if you do it too much, eBay's going to catch on to it. They have their own systems, right? They're watching you for everything. They're watching like a hawk for any deals that are being uh, messaged about to be completed offline. They have their own systems and it works for them. Uh, how great the systems are, I don't know. But the point is, you know, we could very easily manipulate a card and pump up completed listings so that when someone else is looking to buy it, they're convinced that that is what the going rate is. So you have to be very careful about that. That also applies, by the way, to PSA populations. Uh, a lot of people talking about cracking cases and resubmitting and that sort of thing. Guess what? When you crack a case, how many people are contacting Beckett or PSA to let them know? I never even thought about that, to be honest. So all of those population reports, quite frankly, you got to take them with a grain of salt. You got to take them within a plus minus percentage because, uh, there's, there's, there's going to be so many eights and nines in the population reports, let's say 1989 Ken Griffey Jr., that don't exist anymore. Yeah. They've been cracked out. They've either been resubmitted or they've been sent to another company. Um, think about how many BGS slabs get broken and sent to PSA. I, I'm telling you right now, it's a huge amount. Yeah. So when you get on the Beckett population report, guess what? That there's not, if it says 540, Maybe it's 520, maybe it's 500, maybe it's less than 500 Yeah. at this point with the amount, think of the sheer activity in the hobby, um, not only on an international scale through the internet. Um, I was watching today, there's a huge show in Indiana. There are huge sports card shows going on right now. I think the States are a little bit ahead of us in terms of opening, reopening COVID. things, but eventually we'll yeah. get back to having our expo here. There's just so much activity in the hobby. And anytime you think you've put together an interesting or unique play, someone else is already on it. I, I met a, a collector a few days ago. Uh, I was making a purchase and he shared one of his strategies of buying complete sets and grading out the cards in the complete sets. That's a strategy I thought of before. There's so much activity, people doing so many things um, and, and, and population reports and listings can't always keep up. Yeah. Right. So that's, that's kind of, that's an important thing to, to, to keep in mind as well. I, uh, I mean, just with respect to also talking about the hobby today is uh, Pokemon's 25th anniversary and Ken Gold, Ken Golden and uh, Logan Paul are running a million dollar box break for Pokemon. And it is going to break the internet. Like, I know we don't talk about Pokemon on this thing, but one of the one of the old like one of the like the old Pokemon series, you mean? First edition, it was a million dollar box that they uh, they uh, right, right. they uh, they sold packs for I think it was like forty k each if I'm not mistaken, maybe more. Um, 
and uh, they're going to be breaking it today. And honestly, if, if the sports card hobby and the, the hobby cards in general wasn't absolutely lit, it is just going to, it's going to keep going. And that's why when guys like Vegas Dave say that this is going to fizzle out, it just, it's, it, it seems so, so hard to fathom. There's just so much money in here right now that like, unless everyone just picks up their stuff and leaves all at once, it, it's going to get real tough to, and like the more investors are involved, the harder it gets to just pick up and leave, you know? Yeah. Well, hopefully when they open that Pokemon box, what's in it, what's supposed to be in it is in it. Well, there's like, there's like six, bro. Oh, like, we did yeah. what we've seen in the past, but. There's um, six boxes, man. Yeah. Um, Pokemon, yeah, it, it, it's interesting. I don't have a huge. <laughs> all, all I wanted to say was but that, are, but, but, but with respect correct. to grading, I mean, imagine how many goddamn Pokemon cards are waiting in the grading pile at PSA right now. Do you know what I mean? Like, there are eyes on Pokemon, and if there are, are eyes on this event, I mean, that, that just means there's eyes on the cardboard hub, right? Speaking of PSA, what about the increase in prices? I mean, it's not official, but like, it's at this point, I mean, enough people are talking about it that they'd be kind of stupid to not do it. Well, you know my opinion on that. Uh, these companies are raising their prices and lowering their standards. Um, they're, 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 they're not. Uh, it's just bizarre to be having frustrated customers and raise your prices. And that's what these companies are. And by the way, I, I lump companies like Tops into that. They're, they're yeah. no customer service, <laughs> but they're pumping out product like never before. Uh, we are okay with it. We all seem to be okay with it, so they're going to do it. So more power to them. Hey, Con, how many how many cards do we have sitting at PSA right now? I mean, the grand total now has to be coming in on three four hundred cards, I think. Right? And 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 correct me if I'm wrong, but we're 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 prepping another order to send out. And again, a lot of people are <laughs> prepping to get ahead of the increase. Uh, two days ago, the entire website crashed. Then they had you confirming that you weren't a bot. Everyone was picking out bicycles. It's it, which is cool, by the way. It's like it's it's like a very cool collective conscious uh, type of situation where we're all experiencing the same thing. Um, but man, I, you know, it, it, there's a lot of people that used to have a business model that involved relying on PSA submissions. I had it good for a couple of years. That it's so long gone now. You can't keep that steady turnover going anymore, which is unfortunate. Uh, PSA's got to, you, you, you would think they've got to respond to what's going on, right? HGA, CSG coming into the game. You'd think they're like, okay, it's got to step our game up. We got to do some hiring. We got to figure out how to be more efficient. In the meantime, I have people opening up their, you know, opening up their submissions and they're upset about what they're receiving. Yeah, There's a lot more nines than tens, man. Uh, that, that's the only time by the way, cause you know, generally I'm not negative about the quote unquote bubble or where this is all headed. I, I, I think it's a healthy market. I, I do not, I'm more Gary Vee than, than Vegas Dave. But um, the one concerning part is just when the greed and and the realities of the service start to get involved with the, the actual card companies and grading companies, that's where I'm concerned. Because when yeah. do people give up? I, I don't know. Um, I think they're far more likely to give up when the lockdown is over and we're not in the situation we're in. Yep. And I think companies better start thinking about that. You and I talk about what situation are we as human beings going to be when we come out of the pandemic? What situation are these companies going to be? In? 
Well, when uh, people, how are we going to react? Yeah, well, when people can spend money on vacations and like going out and like all these things instead of cards or instead of putting their money towards grading instead of like, uh, yes, obviously, you know, the people who enjoy collecting sports cards and enjoy buying and selling and, you know, who think of these as long-term investments will still be here. But like, you kind of need those, those people who aren't diehard, you need, you need more than just, you need a healthy market. And unless everyone's being tended to like top to bottom with respect to even product, again, like Prism basketball dropped their prices. Like the, they've announced what the it's $4,000 a box, bro. Like, and, and they're, they're, they're trying to get while the getting's good. And you know, for, for the grading companies, they might end up lucky because we come out of lockdown and people going on vacation and doing things other than just sitting around submitting cards that may actually help them. It'll slow down the process. They'll be able to get it out a little faster, make people a little happier. But I think people will still remember all the difficulties. They'll still remember the price increases. I'm going to remember all my problems with tops when we come out of the lockdown. Yeah. And, and the reason why I'm saying that is, you know, it's a pipe dream, but people in my age group in my general i knew you were gonna drop i knew you were gonna drop that line bro people like tyler who we spoke to from hga we're now seeing the hobbyists that have been here all the time getting to that point where they're being entrepreneurial and they can actually start some companies right so whether it's a card company whether it's a grading company whether it's the the people behind you know card ladder and all these other exciting interesting things that we're seeing there's going to be a lot of innovation and there's going to be a lot of fresh ideas, a lot of fresh energy from collectors, not people. The people that started top started upper deck. were not really collectors. I believe the people that started upper deck were baseball players. Okay. Um, God knows who started tops, but the fact is these, these weren't people involved in the hobby. It was a bubblegum company, right? Exactly. Tops and was yeah, a bubblegum sure company. I'm sure there might be one or two executives or some managers that, that may be into collecting, but let's not kid ourselves, right? They're, they're not the people really driving what's going on at Pops yeah. or, or PSA or what have you. Yeah. Now PSA is getting a you know, conglomerate led by a, by a collector. Who, who knows? Maybe he has some ideas in terms of how to, how to more properly benefit the community. And, right. And the ship. Their customers. But, yeah. uh, we kind of veered away uh, from the whole buying and selling issue again. And, and all those different, all those different elements and strategies. But like you said, that that is important in all of this. Um, when to buy, when to sell, what 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 some of the factors are. So I kind of, I have a few down here, and here the, sell, the selling is obviously a lot less involved than the buying, in my opinion. Um, you can sell anytime you want to in this market. You're going to do okay for yourself. I think the biggest concern people are going to have is, well, what if I sold, you know, if I sold something today and it doubles up again two months from now? Listen. That's, that's the situation. What you have to do is ask yourself, why are you selling? Are you selling for you know, uh, the reality of day-to-day living? Are you selling because you need to acquire something else? Right. So that's generally, I think, one of the two factors, the, the, the two factors that people look at the most. And then from there, uh, you're looking at comparables. So if I'm, if I'm looking at hockey player A, and he's selling well above hockey players B and C who are playing better than him, that could be an indication that that card is either overvalued or has plateaued and it might be a good time to get out. Um, and then at that point you want to consider, are you going to be putting something up? If we are going to use eBay, are you putting something up for bids, which of course could encourage bidding wars, which is always great, Yeah. but it may finish very low. Um, 
You got to make sure you put it up at the right time. Make sure you have a quality listing that the keywords are, are where they need to be. Uh, so a lot of people will sell things less than they should be selling. You know what? Uh, listing. You know what I've found? And as someone who like literally just got into this, I think I have like 270 pieces of feedback, 100%, by the way, because I learned from the best. Cartel's got like 5,000 something, all 100%. Um, I lately, because I've been selling a decent amount lately, honestly, and the reason why I've been selling a bunch of little things is so I build up my profile for when I, I eventually, you know, start selling some of those slabs because I don't know how many people are going to be buying 500, $600 cards off of someone with, you know, 30 feedback. Um, not to mention, I won't really get pushed to the top, but if I do this, they, then, then it will. But I digress. What I've been doing is I've been doing, I've been setting a buy it now at uh, not an outrageous price, but at a price where I'm like, I'm comfortable receiving bids at this price. And then what I'll do, because usually like I'll, I'll do it during the week. If it doesn't sell by Sunday or Monday, I'll then think about listing that buy it now as an auction, depending on how hot that card is. So like, I'll give it some time with the buy it nows and see what the, what people are, you know, willing to auction or willing to, to offer for this card. And then if it's something that I really want to get rid of, and I think it, the market's hot for, I'll auction it on the Sunday or Monday, but this is what prevents me from, from, getting bitten in the ass if I auction it on, on a Tuesday afternoon or something. This way I still get the exposure. I get to see what people are thinking and what they're feeling about the price range and what I want versus what they're willing to pay. And then I can transition it. Yeah. I, I, I tend to, I, I, I like the, I, I like that. I mean, it, it, and again, it's just having control of the situation. I tend to prefer uh, buy now best offers yeah. lately. By the way, uh, lately it's the, it's like the most I've ever in my eBay listing career gone back to increase my, my buy it now numbers. And you generally want to go above comparables yeah. and, and be open to taking offers. Um, and with the market, the way it is, if, if we're dealing with really high end hockey rookie cards, McKinnon, Matthews, McDavid, uh, I'm learning very quickly that you have more control and you should need more control because I'll be negotiating with one person uh, over here and someone else will actually bin that item um, because they're either panicking or they feel like, or if, or Matthews had two goals. Um, so you want to have that ability to play the entire field, have something up, negotiate, but have it there in case something we, we know how reactive the market is. Yeah. Uh, if someone has a big night tonight, that could be a big sale for someone. If, if you've already got the card up and ready to go. Right. Um, so yeah, I, I, I tend, I tend to prefer the, the buy now for the high end stuff. I think for some of the, the mid end stuff. Yeah. Like you said, you could bin it and watch it. So something I like to watch for is are people watching the auction? If they're not watching the auction, I'm either going to bring down the buy it now, or it may become an auction yeah. right? instead of a, a buy it now auction. Yeah. So you, you just kind of watch it and then you have your options to play with, um, right. in the buying realm, uh, there are, there are a lot more factors. Right. Um, and like you mentioned, one of them, uh, I saw a Gretzky rookie card in a PSA four go for a very low price recently because it was being sold by a guy with four feedback and three negatives. Uh, you're taking a big risk. Uh, I'm going to guess that that probably didn't go through. And again, it's unfortunate because it's now comparable. Yeah. So if someone has invested in some PSA fours, now they may, may have a little bit of difficulty dealing with that. I think people that are astute 
and, and, and actually look at that stuff. If anyone ever came to you and tried to use a really bad comparable, you could very quickly squash them by letting them know, listen, I already looked into it. This guy has a horrible feedback history. Yeah. He probably didn't even sell the card. So you can't really use that as a true comparable. Yeah. Uh, you have to ask yourself what's going on right now with the player. If there's a lot going on right now, if they're in the headlines, if they're scoring a lot, like in Austin Matthews, in my opinion, you're not doing yourself a favor if you're buying on, on, on the rush. I agree. We all know that the, the card does go up. It does. Um, but again, what I do is I combine and go with comparables. So when I was moving Austin around 2K, I was telling myself that I think that that's going to be a plateau at least for a little bit because it was catching up to Connor McDavid too quickly. And in my opinion, as a hockey fan and as someone who watches hockey, that doesn't make all that much sense just yet. And I th think I was right because I think it's still hovering in that 15 to 2,000 range. And it hasn't really popped beyond that. No. And I mean, like, think about what he had to do to get up there, though. Like, yeah, there was that guy went on a 16-game goal or a 16-game point streak right. where he had 16 goals in, like, 14 games. Like, right. including three straight two-goal games. Like, that – the, the the amount of talk about Austin Matthews in that period of time would have been enough to project anybody into stratosphere. You know what I mean? Absolutely. I think you sold on a, at a beautiful time there. And I honestly think that card is probably like a 1500 to $2,000 card, but, um, but listen, plenty of people will tell you if someone is holding on that for the long term and the market keeps doing what it's doing. Uh, look, uh, my I certainly favorite, don't see it going down below yeah. like 1500, to be honest. My favorite stupid thing to say that people make fun of me for is I imagine if the Leafs won. Imagine okay. if there was a parade in Toronto this year. What's going to happen to those? What's going to happen to all your Marners, Matthews? You know, listen, I'll be honest. That's why I, to this day, you know, I don't forget Morgan Riley and Frederick Anderson. They're not my favorite players. I got a I Morgan, Morgan Riley RPA, man. We talked about this the other time, the other day, man. RPA. He be there. If the Leafs win, those are some key components. Um, I, I, I talk about, you know, one of my best plays in the last few years was Jordan Bennington. Yeah. Which is great because I'm a fan of his. So it was a double, it was doubly successful for me. But, you know, I was buying his cup rookie cards for $40 uh, as they were getting started on that streak in the second half that led them to the Stanley Cup. Yeah, they were and, dead last. Dead last. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah, from, yeah, when Bennington started, they were dead last. You're, you're right. And uh, what a run. And by the end of it all, and, a, and, a, and about one week afterwards, uh, Bennington's were going for about five, 600 US. So, so, that, so that, that's an example of, of you know, how, how big things can be in the longer term play, as opposed to all the flipping that we're seeing these days. Um, auctions versus buy it now is now uh, an auction you might find yourself in a bidding war. An auction, you might find yourself in an advantageous position if it ends at three in the morning. Yeah, I'm a big fan of those, and which is why I, I'm suffering from insomnia and anxiety, and I, I look like a raccoon under here. I but, never screw with those late ones, man. I, I, I listen, look, yeah, it's 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 the price you pay, but um, you know, buy it now. Uh, two things number one, always watch an auction because inevitably you may get uh, a an uh, offer, offer. The seeing more offers than ever before. Me too. You never know what situation the seller's in. They might need quick money. So if you're watching their items and they throw that out at you, boom. I, I got a I got an offer today for a UFC card that I've been watching. They've offered it to me under the last three comps. I'm probably going to buy it. Um, now that said, uh, what about throwing in your offer? 
this gets talked a lot about on Instagram because this is an experience people are having. They're like, oh my God, I can't believe they took it. So f- shoot your shot. Now you got to be careful. Don't, don't shoot your shot. Look, I it have, can't be, it can't be like disrespectful. I've blocked people on eBay who repeatedly lowball. Because really? you, are, you are wasting my time. Yeah, I am yeah, clicking yeah. in to look at what you did. Yeah. And, and that's my time. And time is more precious than ever these days. Yeah. So, you know, within reason, but um, I am really surprised at how willing people are to snap up offers. That's another thing I'm noticing. That's, that's the exciting part about the market. I'm, I'm having more people bin my stuff at higher prices than I've ever seen, but I'm also having sellers sell at lower prices than I've ever seen on certain offers, perhaps because their, their card's been sitting there for too long at too high of a price, whatever it is, or maybe they they need that money to buy. Look, we've all been there. Yeah. You've been, I'm sure you've been there already, right? Where I got to get, listen, have you, have you bought the card and you didn't even have the money and, and it sits there and yeah, you have like yeah, two, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, now, I'll, you have two, now you have two, three days to figure it out, don't you? Yeah. So you're well, really the thing is, like, I, I usually have like an allocated budget where I'm like, okay, I'm not spending more than this. And like, sometimes I gotta wait like a day or sell something. Or I'm like, ah, man, like, I'm really I really, I've been guilty of going too hard. Uh, I, I want to get four copies of this card. I have enough for three. I get the fourth, and it's even cheaper than the other three. I'm not gonna. I'm not going to email the seller and say, listen, I'm sorry and cancel it. I'm going to get that money in the next two days. I'm going to pay. That's hectic. That's, right? uh, I like, I, that, dude, that's, uh, I like it. I like that, bro. No wonder you're not sleeping though. Jesus Christ. I like that. And it, and it makes you hustle. It makes you hustle. Fuck right? me, man. That is a, uh, that's a shark right there. Ladies and gentlemen, coach, coach, go cartel is a shark. And there is no option to, you never want to screw someone as a seller. Since- oh, never. The, the, the ice age of 1996, I know how much it sucks. So I never want to put a seller uh, in that, in that position. I think, um, um, I think what like my long-term play here is uh, especially with like just the, the, the backlog at PSA. Yeah. I think I'm just going to straight buy PSA 10s, bro. Like, sure. and that's just, and I, I'm not saying that I have got a crazy amount of money to do that, but I think that now, with the amount of raw cards, with the amount of PSA 10s that we're getting, you know, with some of the investments I've made in the past that I might want to sell high on, yeah. I think that's that's my future play. It's just straight just, up. If I like a card, I'm buying the PSA 10 because buying raw is, number one, you, you're not guaranteed a beautiful card. Number two, you send it in and a year later it comes back or you express it, which I'm hearing in 20 days is turning into 20 weeks, which is still you know, 75 us plus 20 weeks. And what is your time worth? Yeah. Yeah. And, um, the, you know, I did that recently with a couple cards from 2020 Bowman Chrome, the Bichette and the Rosarena. Uh, you and I just sent some in, you were, you got a very nice gift from electric cards and, uh, that might pan out for you. He gave you a Bichette. What did you pay for the Randy? If you don't want me to ask you. Oh, you're getting very personal right now. I know. Um, I know. For, I, I paid about, uh, 130, 140 US. I like that, bro. I like that play a lot. Now, so think about this, right? We, we've seen the Bowman Chrome rookie card shift this year. Uh, I, I, Tatis is uh, probably around uh, 500 at this point. But um, the, Randy so doesn't have a concrete rookie still, though. And, like, it's going to be up for debate for a while, to be honest. Uh, Rosarena? Yeah. Well, yes. Because Series 1 is him in St. Louis. Yes. And, and then the update is uh, Tampa. Uh, then he's got 
listen, there's so many layers to a Rosarena. We could do yeah. an entire podcast. Uh, he, he, you know, his refractor from the regular Topps Chrome series is not numbered. Uh, whereas the, ref- the update refractor is numbered out of 250. It's exploding right now. Really? I to grab a few when I did, because I think they're around 150 US at this point. Because they're Update? Numbered. The update Chrome is numbered, the refractor. Really? And, and the Bowman Chrome, which was the first one of him in a Rays uniform, is yeah. a beautiful card. Yeah. Bowman Chrome rookie cards are exploding. So I thought to myself, look, if Bichette and Randy are a couple of the big guys from 2020 going Great into play. next year, try to get ahead of it. But, yeah. but I also know they're really tough grades. Like uh, you've seen some of those, right? Like the yeah. centering is terrible. Awful. Right. Awful. So, and not uh, only that, but we know Chrome gets like those dumb little dings or like a little yeah. surface scratch or yeah. it's just so hard to keep Chrome. 2018 and 2020 flagship. This is why I was a big fan of them. They were easy grades and I would just pile them up and pick the right ones and, and get my tens. But 2021 is not like that. So oh. the place. Yeah. I'm, I'm not going to play that game. Uh, because PSA nines will be plentiful. Yeah. Like you said, if, if I want an Alec bomb or if I want to Mount castle, the best play is wait a few months. We're going to start seeing the PSA tens pop up. Uh, right. They should be, I would hope they should be somewhere in the 50 to hundred dollar range. No more than that. Yeah. And then you start picking those up. That would be a good play. Uh, I'm going Mount castle hunting. Sure. Yeah. Every Mount castle I pulled from the hobby box was incredibly off centered. Mine's. I think I honestly think mine's all right. I think mine's okay. You think, right? Because there's so many different, there's so much different centering in an entire pack. There's eight cards with eight different types of centering. What's crazy so, is the front and back centering is very different on a lot yes. of cards. That's what's you so know, crazy. I've been hearing this. I, I don't know if, if this is the case and I don't know if you've heard anything. Apparently PSA does not care about the centering of the back of the card. I don't believe that. I, I just, I don't know. I don't. I, I do I, I I own a Mike Bossy tops PSA eight that I picked up a rookie card, which is like fairly decent centering on the front, but the back. But again, this this was an issue with the set back then. Uh, the back is completely off center to the point where it's coming off the card, so really? it just doesn't match the centering on the front. So there's so many things that go wrong in the printing process, especially in the old cards. Of course, tops. I don't know what they're doing. Are they nostalgic? They want to start acting like they're in the sixties. I don't know. But dude, uh, let's be honest, this 2021 set, you can't read the player name. It's, I, I don't know. It's not the type of set I would have put out at a time like this when we're in a lockdown and there's new hobbyists and, and new collectors and people getting back into the MLB and you can't even read the names of the players. And, uh, and uh, it's, 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 yeah. I, have I you seen very impressed with that well, the stamp, the 75 year stamp or whatever yeah, it is? All seven sorts years? Of weird stuff. It comes on the back though. Like it, it, yeah. it, if you have like three cards stacked on top of each other, you can actually see the imprint on the back. Yeah, and, and, and a couple of them, there's like, there's even more imprints on the back. These and like three dots. I don't know what's I'm like, on. what is happening here? How hard is it for Upper Deck and Tops and Panini for, with the money that they're swimming in to stop it with the dimples and the off-centering and the miscuts? Like seriously, some people might be thinking, I'm just, I'm just trying to find something to whine about, but... It, consider what people are paying for this stuff that's, and, and that's my point my point is that like dude the amount of money that is put into now that you're asking three thousand dollars for a hobby box of panini prism can you guarantee that every card that comes out of there at the very least is not going to have print lines i don't care but centering it is what it is you can't have them all perfect but can you get that they're not going to all have print lines because print lines are a little bit outrageous for a box of three thousand dollar cards 
and and or some sort of manufacturing defect where it's a bubble it's a you know it's something that you cannot fix or cannot overcome like it just takes all of all of your heart and soul out of this hobby because i just spent three thousand dollars on a box of cards and i can and I, I i maybe i hit the one that i want and i can't grade it because it's a fuck it there's a goddamn print line it's incredibly on it. disheartening it's incredibly disheartening and uh, i'm actually i'm putting up a post this weekend i am conducting it it's not really an experiment it it's sad that i have to call it experiment but i received damaged cards from upper deck panini and tops i have three envelopes with three cards i'm sending back and i'm going to see what these companies do by the way, the tops one was already received. I did not get any notification formally that it was received. I, I don't expect it because these are people who have not emailed me for over a year. Um, but nonetheless, the first one's there. I'm working on the Panini in the upper deck, and we're going to see how these customer service uh, centers react. I like and it. I have high hopes for upper deck. I've never done anything like it with Panini, and I have very low hopes with tops. But we're going to see how it goes. It's just a bit of an experiment. You know, I like it, kid. You uh, you got spunk. You got to you got to shoot your shot. Uh, that's 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 the moral of the story always. Right. I love it. So shall we discuss the world of fitness? We are the coaches. We're trying to coach. Hell yeah. So what do you think, Brendan? I know that so, something's on your mind. That yeah, man. Spine. So you know, lately I've been sitting a lot. And whether the sitting is as a result of being on eBay or I'm running through my collection or sitting for work in front of a computer, podcasting, even, you know, I'm, I'm always sitting, not always, but more so now than ever. And you're talking from someone who is in the fitness industry for, you know, I mean, we're getting on, we're close to a decade now. And who tells people constantly to, to get out of this seated position. You know, I'm, I'm even noticing that my knees are kind of bugging me. My hips are bugging me. And a lot of that has to do with inactive hamstrings and glutes. And the one thing that I've been doing over the course of the last few weeks, aside from stretching, and we've shown you a few stretches now, um, aside from stretching, is using everyday movements to help activate these muscles. And so Cartel and I are going to show you and talk a little bit about one of the most important movements that you can learn using literally whatever you've got around the house. And this movement is going to help strengthen your lower back. It's going to help strengthen your core, which they're actually combined, but you know, I'm separating them for the purpose of visuals. Um, your hamstrings and your glutes. So this is like probably the most pivotal movement that you can learn and often misused in a gym setting. You know, cartel was talking about earlier how tiger woods, one of his, his shortcomings was actually doing this movement improperly. So isn't that right? Cartel. Yeah. As well, you know, a lot of celebrities is Drake included among them. And I'll, 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 I'll take that heat. I'll take that fire because there's a, a video of Drake deadlifting uh, on the internet and it's terrifying. Um, Tiger Woods started working out weightlifting a few years back, got very big, got very muscular, but he was not paying attention to the movement patterns. And we want you guys to, and by the way, you know, just 
we're being very flippant about it. Of course, all due respect, like a terrible thing has happened. To of Tiger course, Woods. of course. We're mentioning it because we're talking about fitness. I don't want to talk anything negative about this guy right no, now. No, man, that guy is 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 one of the greatest of all time. We're just talking about overall talking about health him. and wellness moving forward for our people and people that we know and those people who know other people. Right. So, guys, what I like to say is use your ass. So we are not using our ass when we're sitting down. Uh, it's in a lengthened state. It's actually the opposite of using it. Now, Coach Co, what he just did right there is how we are bending over and picking up things generally on a day-to-day -day basis. So stop right there for a second now. The thing is, you have way more range of motion than most people have coming <laughs> down that way. But you'll notice Coach Co's shoulder blades right now are open. Okay, they're pulling aside to opposite ends and his lower back is humped over. And so there isn't any particular muscle group getting used there except his lower back when he comes up. And it hurts because the lower back is not what you want handling the entire job when you're picking up your stacks and boxes, okay? What you want handling that job are our most advantageous and powerful muscle groups in the hamstrings, the glutes, and the core. So first thing I want you to do, since, we're, since we talked about golf, uh, Brendan, I'm gonna challenge your stability here for a little bit. Show us what a, so, so Brendan has a box of top series one. Um, you got no, no gold or rainbow hits. <laughs> no autograph. It was a nothing. Jose Altuve relic. I got okay. nothing. It's it. So he he really wants to throw it out, but he's gonna pick it up. Um, show us a golf pickup, real quick. Oh, you can do it, buddy. Boom. So the golf pickup is an effort to keep the back straight. It's so named because that's how you want to pick up your golf ball off the golf course. So now the the, the disadvantage there is Brendan has to be stabilized, and it doesn't make sense. And if his girlfriend walks by. She's going to be like, what the hell are you doing? Right? So there's a golf pickup. It's much better than the bending over, which is going to hump the back and cause pain in the lower back. So that's protection. But let's talk about actual activation. So let's see how Brendan picks it up from a hinge. And it's probably going to have a bit of a squat element to it. So Brendan comes down, bends the knees, brings the hips down a little bit, and he's picking it up and he's protected his lower back and he's used his glutes and his hamstrings. So let's talk about the hinge without having to pick something up. Let's just practice the actual hinge itself, right? So Brendan's going to, what he's going to do is going to draw his shoulders down back. His chest is going to be up and proud, and he's going to look ahead a little bit and push his hips back. Most people, when they think of bending over, they're leading with their head and their upper torso. Brendan's thinking, my hips are going to shove back. Now, stop right there. So what can Brendan do in this position? Brendan can brush his teeth. Brendan can pick stuff up. And when he's doing it this way, which is essentially just the angle where his hips are, his glutes are involved. So if you thrust in real quick, because all it is is a big thrust, Brendan, boom, that's where the hips flex and the, and the glutes flex. So what are you feeling on your way down? What My hamstrings are on fire. Right. Hamstrings are stretching, right? Yeah. And we often want to avoid that, which is another reason why we bend over the way that we do. We don't want that discomfort. Yeah. If you're doing deadlifts, particularly Romanian deadlifts on a, on a, on a regular basis, grab some dumbbells, do some Romanian uh, deadlifts for us, Brendan. Yeah, of course. Then what you're doing is you are strengthening those muscle groups. So they're not going to bother you on the way down. You're stretching them and on the way up, you're flexing them. So real slow coming down. And then he's going to drive his hips in and he's going to flex. Okay. So it all seems very simple but you're going to see that people tend to have a disorganization with how they're moving through that. 
They're going to drop their hips. They're going to open up their shoulders because those are the patterns that they're used to. So the more that we can kind of practice this, that's the whole point of deadlifting, by the way. People say, oh my God, you're lifting heavy stuff. Obviously the deadlift is most valuable when you're lifting heavy. Why do you have to go through all of that? Because you're going through the opposite through most of the day. You're sitting slouched through most of the day. So if you can, if you can find and commit to a couple days of the week for however much time it takes to get through three sets each time, you are counterbalancing. You've got to keep your glutes active, right? Because they are the muscle group you want to use that will save your lower back from the pain that it's in. You don't want to use your lower back as much. You want to use your glutes and your hamstrings. Does that sound about right, Brendan? Yeah. And, and one thing I would challenge people to do is uh, let's say you bought a case of, of wax. You can deadlift that case. You can do that golfer's pickup. You can try picking up that case. Doesn't have to be a case of wax. Maybe even a no, back. By, by the way, if you're a tall guy and you're coming down to that box, it's not a problem to bend the knees and bring the hips down. You're yeah. still keeping the hip. Do you mind showing us? I mean, again, if you show us a squat, Brendan, essentially you're keeping the hinge when you squat, right? So it's perfectly fine. Pretend you're picking up a giant box. You're going to come down and hug that box, right? So you're going to hug the box and you're going to stand up, right? So that was much better. That, now, how would most people pick up that box? Show us one more time. Boom. Terrible, right? Well, they wouldn't have even, they wouldn't have even done what you did. Oh, uh, it, you know, the thing it. is, it's hard to, it's hard to unlearn it. And that's kind of our point here. Beautiful. There you go. So if you, if you keep doing something, if you do it, badly pick up a box, right? If you do it as, as often as possible, every time you pick something up, if you make a conscious effort to pick something up properly, it right. becomes significantly more difficult. It actually becomes effort to pick it up improperly. You have that's to make great, conscious that's, that's great. Yeah, that's a great way say, of putting it. Screw it. I don't want to pick it up the, pro, the appropriate way. That's a perfect way to put it, is that the, the pattern is getting locked in, and that's why we train. That's why we go through those motions, is to make sure that the pattern is locked in properly. And again, uh, Brendan is still a young buck. I'm getting up there. And I'm not bragging when I say I've not had knee and lower back issues. I'm saying it because it's significant. 99% of people my age are currently or have had back issues and not because of some sort of acute catastrophic event, but because of patterns. Yeah. Okay? It's not, it's not a judgment or an insult. It's just the reality. Yeah. Right. So, you know, one of the first things I glommed onto when I was 18, 19 was deadlifts. And there's a payoff there. I, I didn't do it to get huge. I've never been huge. I didn't get it. I, I didn't do it for, for the ego of picking up 600 pounds, although it's fun. Yeah. Um, I did it for the movement pattern. Okay. And by the way, don't, don't forget, there's power lifters and weightlifters out there who lift terribly. They're not interested in patterns. They're just interested no. in how much weight they can lift. Don't get that confused. Yeah, yeah. A lot of them will end up with absolutely crushed spines. But, it's but they've pursuit. got trophies and sponsorships. Sure. And, and, and I have no judgment on that whatsoever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If that's your thing, go for it. Uh, I think the best power lifters and weightlifters are combined, uh, you know, movement pattern. But it's very hard to keep a movement pattern it's, when you're lifting at that level. Yeah, it's like next to impossible. It's, like it's really hard to stay natural when you're bodybuilding. Yeah. Right? So, yeah. But that's a whole other thing. And that's a, that we could talk about PSA slabs and we could talk about weightlifting all day long. But I think we've done. Uh, We've done enough for today. Sure have. Here on the cardboard coaches. We uh, so we hope that you've come away with a little bit of food for thought, uh, a little bit of uh, uh, a little bit of motivation. 
And honestly, I'm a little bit upset because I think some of our tips have been well received. I know that I'm not winning as many bids anymore. Uh -oh. <laughs> there you go. Sometimes when you share the love, that's right. And it's like, you know, it's like subscription services, you know, there are actually some decent subscription services out there, but I've always thought to myself, you know, I've had people ask, why don't you start a subscription service? Well, I'm going to be competing with all these people that I've told uh, my strategy to, but then you got to wonder, maybe some of these subscription services are not really giving you the good stuff. I don't know. With all but, due uh, respect, nonetheless, in, in that realm, I'm right, happy that you, that we can share our information with you guys. We're, we want everyone to be happy making money. We want everyone to be owning what they, what they enjoy owning. And uh, I hope you guys have a wonderful rest of your day, rest of your week, rest of your month. Let's keep this going team. Cardboard coaches coach. We'll coach, see you next week. Out. Peace.